Chapter 35 of Tell It All by Fanny Stenhouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Festivities and Social Gatherings of the Saints, The Prophet's Whiskey Shop, and Dry Goods Store. The more I saw of the practical working of the system in Utah, the more did I learn to detest polygamy. For although I hesitated to reject Mormonism altogether, I could not for a moment believe that many things of which I heard, and many which came beneath my own observation, could under any circumstances be considered right. About that time I made the acquaintance of a sister whom I shall call Mrs. W. Her husband was on a mission, and had left his family without any suitable provision. She herself was a remarkably neat and ladylike woman, but she appeared to be delicate in health and spoke with so much languor and despondency that directly I saw her I was led to suspect that her house was also haunted by that specter polygamy. She complained of poverty and told me that her courage was ready failing, for after she had striven so hard to provide a home for her children, her husband had taken a young wife who seemed to think she had as much right in the sister's house as the sister had herself. She does not assist in the least towards getting a living, she said, and we have been left entirely unprovided for, as the church takes no care of the missionaries' wives. What is the use of slaving as I do to prolong such a life as mine? My husband is coming home soon, and he is sure to bring one or two girls with him, they all do so. During our conversation she told me that some of the dignitaries of the church had intimated to her that several wives of missionaries who were obliged to be absent for several years had duties to perform which ought not to be neglected. It devolved upon them to see that their husband's kingdom did not suffer during their absence, and that if she herself were more complying in this respect, her pathway would be rendered smoother. I had heard it hinted before that such abominable suggestions had been thrown out, but this was the first time I had met with anyone to whom they personally had been made. There are bad men in every community, and the saints are no exception. It is but fair to state that the great mass of the Mormon people would be as truly horrified at such doctrines and practices as any Gentile man or woman could be. The constant anxiety of this lady, of whom I have been speaking, was such that she often threatened to poison herself, and thus put an end to her misery. Her husband began to pay his addresses to a young English girl who came in with the handcarts, and he made as great a simpleton of himself as it is possible for a man to do when he is in love. He was scarcely ever home, and often of an evening the wife would see the young girl walking towards the house, waiting for her, the wife's, husband. And on two occasions the girl threw a little stone at the window to indicate she was there. The poor wife never dared say a word against polygamy in the presence of her husband. When she felt so utterly miserable that she could no longer contain herself, and ventured a word of remonstrance at his cruel neglect of her, and her five little ones, he would tell her, quoting the brutal language of Brother Brigham, that she had had her day, 
and that it was nothing but right that his future wife should now have some attentions paid her. She must round up her shoulders and submit to the cross which we all have to bear. One day he brought the young girl home to tea without saying a single word previously to his wife about it, and it was as much as she could do to be civil to the girl. She mastered her feelings, however, sufficiently to treat her properly, but during the evening she had her temper tried to the uttermost. Her husband sat all the time beside the girl, talking in an undertone and toying with her curls. At last the wife's feelings were worked up beyond endurance and she told her husband that if he did not instantly desist, she would leave the house. "'You can go when you please,' he said. "'There are plenty more women in the world, I guess. "'I suppose you are jealous that you are not getting the same attention yourself.' Then he turned to the girl and said, "'Come, let us take a walk. "'The old woman is full of the devil. "'She will get better after a while.' To say nothing of the man himself, what can be thought of a girl who would marry a man who treated his wife in this manner in her presence? And yet many Mormon girls think that such men have simply been unfortunate in their first choice of a wife, and will never treat them so. This was another home, the happiness of which I saw wrecked. In England that poor wife had been gay and happy, and her husband was as faithful and attentive to her as a husband should be. Now, utterly heartbroken, without any interest in this world, and without hope for that which is to come, she was going to her grave, forsaken by a man, and, as she, poor woman, also thought, forsaken by her God. Often at parties and at picnics, I met with unhappy wives who unfolded their griefs to me, and some of the things which they related were of a very painful nature. There were instances of downright brutality and cruelty, which could not admit of repetition. There were also hundreds of cases in which wives suffered not so much by any one particular act of wrong, as by innumerable daily and hourly trials, which came upon them at all times, and made existence itself a curse to them. I remember once at a picnic party, meeting with several first wives whom I had known before I came to Utah, and the stories which they told me were really shocking. At those parties, which of course were intended for pleasure and amusement, there was much that was painful in the conversation of the women among themselves, but which would never have been noticed by a stranger. Picnics are generally understood to be held in the open air and in the country, but we used to call the ward parties which were held in the social hall by that name. The social hall was built for this and similar purposes, and was provided with a kitchen and other necessary offices for the preparation of suppers and other refreshments. It was in this building that plays were acted before the theater was erected. The picnic parties are quite an institution, rich and poor, young and old, babies and all, assembled at them to have a good time. They take their own picnic with them, set their own tables, make their own tea and coffee, and nurse their own babies. On the occasion to which I allude, we went rather early, 
and thus I had an opportunity of watching the arrivals. Some of them presented a very amusing appearance. There was the bishop of the ward and all his wives. Two of his boys went in front of him carrying a very large clothes basket, full of picnic, as the eatables were called. Then, straggling after him, came four women and a bevy of noisy children. The wives were all dressed in gray linsey skirts, blue muslin sacks, and green sunbonnets. When they took off their bonnets, I found they all wore wreaths of roses or some other flowers. On entering, I found that quite a number had already assembled, and were sitting bolt upright along the sides of the hall, as whist as mice, the women on one side and the men on the other. At the further end of the hall, I saw an old lady sitting whom I recognized as one of my neighbors. She struck me as looking so strangely that I went over to see what was the matter with her. She was pleased to see me, asked how I thought she looked, and said that this was the first party she had attended since she came to the valley. She had supposed that it was absolutely necessary for her to wear something white, and had therefore arrayed herself in a white nightdress which answered the purpose of a loose sack. Sacks and skirts were all the rage at that time. She had on also a little white muslin nightcap, and altogether she looked very neat and clean, but certainly not fit for a party. I did not, of course, like to tell her so, but I felt sorry to see her dressed in that style. Brigham Young was there, and kept his hat on all the time, as was his custom, and Heber C. Kimball sat during the evening with a red pocket handkerchief thrown over his head, while the Apostle George A. Smith, a cousin of Joseph, the originator of Mormonism, had a similar article thrown carelessly round his neck. Heber once said publicly in the tabernacle when speaking of the wearing of hats, and the proper degree of respect which ought to be shown to the prophet, I never feel as though I wanted to wear my at when Brigham is present. I consider that the master should wear his at or hang it on the peg that God made for it, which is his ed, of course. All these things, however, have been changed since Brigham came under the gentle control of Amelia. On the occasion of which I speak, Heber came up the hall, soon after we entered, with five or six of his wives following him. The wives always follow the husband. In fact, everything that is done, whether in word or deed, impresses one with the conviction that the Mormons are determined to make the women feel and fully understand that they are inferior beings. Even in the dance, the man takes the lead. In all the chasses and promenades, he precedes his wives and all other women. In a special council held in Salt Lake City, Brigham Young once said, For a man to follow a woman is in the sight of heaven disgraceful to the name of a man. They have a curious kind of dance in Salt Lake City called a double cotillion, in which one man dances with two women. This is done in order to accommodate those who have many wives. On entering the hall, a number is given to each man, and he is not expected to dance until his number is called. 
when that is done they come like a streak across the hall to the lady's side to get partners and when the dance is ended they conduct them back to their seats and then all retire as they came with the exception of a few love-sick swains who are reckless enough to break through this rule in order to enjoy the society of their lady-loves between the dances it is only old and hardened saints however who will venture to set at defiance long-established regulations and endure the scrutinizing gaze of the brethren on the opposite side of the hall all this has a very unsociable and stiff appearance to those who attend one of these parties for the first time at the particular picnic of which i speak i met a swedish lady whom i had known in new york she had come out to utah believing fully all that had been told her of that new zion she was not very young or good-looking when she arrived but she had a good deal of money and consequently was much troubled with offers of marriage finally she consented to become a second wife but she very soon discovered that her husband thought more of her money than he did of herself he gave her no peace until he got it all into his own hands and then he neglected her utterly scarcely ever even coming to see her this poor old woman quite deserted by her husband was obliged to live in what they call in utah a dugout a dugout is a large cellar or hole excavated in the ground just like the place formed in digging the foundation for a house it generally is only one fair-sized room roofed in on the top with boards and with a few steps in front by which to descend sometimes in such a place a man lives with a couple of wives and a host of children and this is one phase of the order of celestial marriage the swedish lady of whom i speak had been well brought up in her own country and was well educated she could however speak but little english and therefore found it very difficult to find employment after the good brother had relieved her of her property so she worked in the fields or did anything else she could get to do she lived a wretched sort of life and finally poisoned herself but no one seemed to care much about it for very little attention is paid to the death of a woman in utah unless she is a favorite wife no one troubles himself to make any investigations in such a case the woman was neither young nor handsome and she might just as well die as live the visitor to utah is only allowed to see the holiday outside manners of the people if he thinks he sees more he is in most cases deceived but anyone who really knows the great mass of the mormon wives as they really are would confess that a more weary worn and dejected set of women could nowhere be found how could it possibly be otherwise the whole system is radically wrong how could men act properly to their wives when they marry as many as three four five and six in one single day such things have actually been done absurdly impossible as it may seem there was the apostle franklin d richards of whom i have previously an occasion to speak 
he married five wives. George Grant, the brother of Jedediah M. Grant, the apostle of the Utah Reformation, married four women at one time. They owned some very fine property, and ill-tempered people say that Brother Grant had an eye principally to that. But he, good soul, would tell you that he did it altogether from principle. They all do, and I presume they ought to know best. When Franklin D. Richards married the five or six widows of his uncle, Dr. Richards, some people said that he was actuated by the same motive. But his friends said that his only wish was to be a father to the fatherless and a husband to the widow. Brigham Young is always very willing that any of the brethren should marry the widows of deceased apostles or other dignitaries. But as for their property, that is quite another thing. He himself always has an eye to that, and whenever it is possible, the net of the prophet draws into its meshes all that is valuable, whether small or great. As for Brother Brigham's own iniquities, it would take a book much larger than this present volume to tell them all. He lives, in fact, and has lived for years in a condition of such constant antagonism to all right and honorable principles that I really believe that at last he hardly knows when he is doing wrong. He does not like his actions to be scrutinized, and he has always taken special pains to prevent the people from intermingling with the Gentiles, who he feared might excite in them a spirit of inquiry. When the United States Army went to Utah in 1857, one half of the old tabernacle was appropriated to the sisters, and the other half to the brethren. The center of the new tabernacle is now devoted exclusively to the sisters, and no husband or brother is permitted to sit near them. This is done for the purpose of avoiding the slightest opportunity for any Gentile to converse with them, for the Mormons as a rule have not the slightest confidence in their wives and are very jealous of them. I suppose this is natural, and that the men, knowing their own frailty, judge their wives from their own standpoint of morality. Brigham Young is the most distrustful of them all. He not only guarded the women in the tabernacle, but when the theater was built, he arranged so that it would be impossible for the Gentiles to mix with the families of the saints. The Mormon families occupied the parquet, and the Gentiles had the first circle. The poor among the saints are, of course, regarded as the common herd, at all times except when a collection is required, and then they are solemnly reminded that they are a sanctified and peculiar people. It is not therefore necessary that any trouble should be bestowed upon them, and no effort is made to preserve them in the theater from contamination with the Gentiles. Gentiles and Mormons sit together in the second and third circles, and no one is expected to take any notice of it, as the theater is Brigham's own property. If the theater had been owned or conducted by anyone else than Brother Brigham, it would have been a sin for the Mormons to have mingled in it with the Gentiles, the people would have been counseled to remain at home if they could not sit by themselves exclusively. 
but the fact that Brigham is the owner of the theater does away with any sinfulness in the people attending it and sitting side by side with the Gentiles. In the same way, when Brigham made whiskey, the whiskey was sanctified. Joseph Smith gave a revelation which he called the Word of Wisdom, and joining those who among the saints would be most saintly, never to touch any kind of strong drink, not even tea or coffee, or anything warm. This revelation, as I before mentioned, we ourselves followed while on mission, as in fact did all the members of the Church in Europe. It was only when we saw the American apostles and elders, more fond of creature comforts than obeying the commands of the prophet, that we thought it was needless for us to abstain any longer, and accordingly followed their example, and ceased to deny ourselves many of those things which are generally considered to be among the necessaries of life. The saints in Europe were not backward in imitating the apostolic example, and thus the word of wisdom has fallen into disuse. This I do not think was a matter to be regretted, for originally this revelation was, I believe, given not for the promotion of sobriety, but simply to get the people to save their money, so as to bring in more to the coffers of the church. Its disuse enabled many a poor soul, old men and sick women, to whom a cup of warm tea or coffee was the greatest comfort of their lives, to partake of those beverages without fear of committing sin against the word of the Lord. Whether Brother Joseph himself kept his word of wisdom may very well be doubted, for his own son Alexander says, There are those who say that the revelation on polygamy was received over a five-gallon keg of whiskey. Certain it is that Brother Brigham, seeing that even among the saints everyone did not care to keep this word of wisdom, turned the weakness of the people to profitable account. A certain Mr. Howard set up a whiskey-making establishment in Salt Lake City, and was doing a very good business in that line. But Brother Brigham declared that no more should be made, and Mr. Howard was told to go on a mission to preach the gospel. Soon after he left, the establishment was again running, and a great quantity of whiskey was sold. But as it was dispensed at a store surmounted by an imitation of the all-seeing eye over the inscription, Holiness unto the Lord, the sign of Zion's cooperative institution, nothing was thought of the matter. The nature of the whiskey was, of course, changed. Some said, however, that it was not changed for the better, and that Brother Brigham's whiskey was much inferior to Brother Howard's, and much weaker. Probably Brother Brigham thought that strong drinks were not good for the people, and made the whiskey weaker out of pure love to them. Many young Mormon boys, otherwise respectably brought up, have been ruined by the too free sale of whiskey by the church. I know one young man in Utah who told me that this had been the case with himself and several others. He always silenced his conscience by saying that he had never tasted anything but what was made at Brother Brigham's establishment and sold at one of the church stores. Finally, seeing the inconsistency of these things, he turned away from Mormonism, Brigham, and whiskey, all at the same time, 
and then became a respectable and steady young man. When we went to Salt Lake, the saints were not permitted to keep Gentile boarders. If they did so, they lost their standing in the church. Those who persisted in doing so created great scandal and were themselves attacked without mercy in the tabernacle sermons. They were told that intercourse in any shape with the Gentiles would cause them to lose the spirit, and they were therefore warned against it. Since then, however, so greatly have matters changed that two of Brigham Young's own wives have taken in Gentile boarders, and more than one of his daughters have taken in Gentile sewing in order to provide a little extra pocket money for themselves, money which they spent in what their father calls wretched Gentile fashions. While the prophet himself and Daniel H. Wells, his counselor, the mayor of Salt Lake City, have made themselves conspicuous in denouncing everything that was not Mormon. Some of their wives, and also their own sons and daughters, are at this moment aping every Gentile who comes within sight, and have done their very best to dress according to the very latest Gentile style. The people, when they see Brigham and his family themselves leading the way, think that there can be no great sin in following and the more so as they are able to purchase all the finery that their hearts can desire at the dry-goods store of the Prophet of the Lord. End of chapter 35